in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Uh, tonight, we will study some verses from the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 12, starting from verse 22 to the end of the chapter. Let us read verse 22. Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind, and mute. And he healed him, so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? Actually, here we can see a great miracle but St. Matthew mentioned it just in one verse. This person was mute and also was blind because he was possessed with a demon. And in this chapter, just before this miracle, we read about another miracle, how the Lord healed a man with deformed hand. So the people being encouraged with this miracle, so they presented to him another man who was demon possessed, and because of the possession with the demon, he was blind and mute. And actually, a person who is under the captivity of Satan, he is blind spiritually because he cannot see the truth and he cannot see the Son of God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When we are under captivity of Satan or under captivity of any sin, we cannot see the proper way or are spiritually blind. Like the church of Laodicea in chapter 3 from the book of Revelation, God said to them, you are blind, you are lukewarm and blind. The same was the situation of the scribes and the Pharisees. The Lord called them the blind guides, the blind leaders of Israel. And in John chapter 9, he told them, if you were blind, if you admitted your blindness, you wouldn't have sinned. But because you are in denial, because you say, we see, your sin remains. Also, when a person is under captivity of Satan or any sin, he will become mute. Actually, the sin will seal up his lips. He cannot pray. That's why David said, Open, O Lord, my mouth, so I may utter your praises. He cannot witness for the truth. He cannot actually re uh, recite verses from the scripture because he is mute. So this man was not only blind spiritually and mute spiritually, but also he was blind and mute physically. And God allowed him to be blind and mute physically to teach us a lesson 
that when we are under captivity of sin, we will become blind and mute spiritually. And St. Matthew, in two words, he mentioned and he healed him. Of course, to heal him, a blind man, a mute person, <coughs> possessed with demons, this actually reflects the divinity of Christ. Because only Christ has authority over demons. Nobody has authority over demons, neither medicine, nor psychology, nor counselors. Nobody has authority over demons except God. That's why when the people saw this great miracle in front of their eyes, they said, could this be the son of David? Actually, this, this, uh, this question, could this be the son of David, means they actually believed that he is the Messiah, believed that he is the son of David, but because of the fear of the religious leader of Israel, that's why they could not admit it. So this question does not reflect uh, doubt, rather it reflects actually a belief, but they cannot just admit it that we believe in him for uh, the fear of the religious leader. So I can say that these people indicated their secret impression that Jesus must be the promised Messiah King. And as we read in, in the Old Testament, the Messiah is referred to as the son of David. So when they said he is the son of David, they are saying he is the Messiah. As we read in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10, and in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 5, that the son of David is the Messiah. But they said it in a form of question to avoid the wrath of the religious leader of Israel. Actually, when they asked this question, the Pharisees and the scribes became very, very uh, insecure and became very indignant and angry. That's why they said to the people, as we read in verse 24, now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Ba'alizabu, the ruler of the demons. So they said, no, no, he's not the Messiah. He's not the son of David. Yes, nobody has authority over demons except the head of demons. So this fellow actually cast out demons because he had the head of demons, the ruler of demons, Ba'alizabu. That's why he is uh, strong enough to cast out demons. They said this to deprive the Lord Jesus Christ from his glory, to reproach him, and actually to bring him in, uh, into contempt with the people, to make a conflict between him and the people. And even the way they referred to him, they were mocking him, despising him, by saying, this fellow, this fellow. 
And he is able to do this because he has the ruler of demons with him. So this power is from uh, Satan. They made this response to the people, not to Christ himself. But Christ, because he is God in the flesh, he knew their thoughts. Then actually, he responded to them and refuted their accusation by three arguments. And why he refuted their uh, accusation? Because this was not the first time to say that he cast out demon by the prince of demons. The first time you can read it in Gospel of Matthew chapter 9, verse 34, and this is the second time in chapter 12. So as we read in verse 25, but Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, he used the three arguments. First argument, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? That's the first argument. And the first argument, actually, it is a common sense. He just told them, any city, any kingdom, is if it is divided against itself, it will fall down. Kingdoms doesn't fall because of the power of a foreigner uh, enemy. But what actually made any kingdom to fall down its weakness due to its division. Even the church, it is sad to say that during the time of persecution, during the time of the Roman persecution, the church was getting stronger and stronger and stronger. But when the church became divided against itself, starting from the Council of Chalcedon in 451, from that moment until today, all Christians are not united. All Christians are divided into many denominations, and we argue with each other because we are divided against ourselves. Can you imagine if all Christians in the whole world are one uh, church, one denomination, because the body of Christ is one? Can you imagine how powerful would be the church is? But because we are divided against ourselves, that's why we become weaker and weaker. So the Lord told them, it is a common sense to know that the welfare of any kingdom depends on its harmony and unity. So if you're accusing me that I am casting out demon because I have Satan, the prince of demon, it does not make sense. Because Satan, like any other ruler, like any other prince, wish to rule his empire in peace and security. So how can Satan and Jesus work together? How can? And actually, by Satan, Jesus will cast out demons. The kingdom of Christ is again the kingdom of Satan. 
the kingdom of Christ actually, the, the teaching of Christ actually refutes the deception of Satan and his power cast out the power of Satan. So it does not make any sense. The second argument he told them in verse 27. And if I cast out demons by Baal by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. So the second argument, he told them, your children, whether the word your children refers to the disciples of the Pharisees and the scribes, who were claiming that they are casting demons also, or maybe your children refers to the disciples of Christ, who are the children of the Israel. But the Lord Jesus Christ gave them authority also to cast out demons. But there is only one prince for the demons, one ruler. And if Christ has this ruler with him, how their children cast out demons? If there is only one ruler. So if this ruler is jumping from Jesus to other disciples uh, in order to cast out demons, so it does not make sense. And he's telling them, actually, if I am uh, casting out demons by Satan, then you are also making a covenant with Satan, and your children is casting out demons by the power of Satan. So you need, he's telling them, you need to give up this argument because it does not make sense. I am here casting out demons by the power of God, by the Spirit of God. As he told them in verse uh, 28, but if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. If you believe that I am the Messiah, and I'm casting out demons by the Spirit of God, if you accept that I am the Messiah, then you will be saved. And this means you will be transferred from the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has come upon you. The third actually argument, he used it in verse 29. He told them, or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. The strong man here referred to Satan and his house referred to the earth because he is the prince of the world and his goods are the unbelievers who actually led Satan to reign over them. So the Lord is telling them, how can a person enter 
into strong man's house, into come to the earth, which is the world of Satan, and plunder his goods. Plunder his goods mean cast out demons from the human being who actually led Satan to reign over them. Unless first he will bind the strong man. So he said to them, actually, in order to cast out demon from this man, I have first to tie and bind Satan. Otherwise, I cannot actually cast him out of this uh, blind and mute man. Which means I am stronger than Satan. And I can actually spoil his goods. I can deliver the people who are taken captive by Satan. I can deliver them from this captivity into the kingdom of God. So by casting out demons, this means I am tying up, I am binding Satan, which means I am stronger than Satan. If I'm stronger than Satan, then I am the Messiah. I am the Messiah. Then actually the Lord told them, these two kingdoms, the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of Satan, cannot work together. They are opposing each other. So verse 30, he told them, He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. So, actually he is hinting that they are working with Satan. After he refuted their argument that he must be the Messiah by three strong arguments, after he refuted their accusation by three strong arguments and proved to them that he is the Messiah, son of David, then he told them, if you are not with me and you are against me then you are belonging to the kingdom of Satan and if you are not gathering me gathering with me but rather you are scattering abroad then you are belonging to the kingdom of Satan and thus he is telling them it is not me who actually working with Satan but it is you who are working with Satan because you are opposing the kingdom of God and you are opposing the work of the Holy Spirit. Those who are with the Lord Jesus Christ belong to God. And whoever does not follow the Lord Jesus Christ is against the plan of God, against the kingdom of God. Then they are actually working with Satan. And unfortunately, this was the situation of the leader of Israel, the religious leader of Israel. They were scattering the sheep of Israel, as we read in Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 11 uh, to, 11, uh, to verse 16, also in Matthew chapter 2, verse 6, and in Matthew chapter 15, verse 24, all these verses, God is telling them, you are scattering the flock of Christ, you are scattering the sheep of Israel, Instead of searching for the lost sheep, you are scattering them. You are the wicked shepherd who scatters the sheep of God. Then actually, 
he told them, if you continue to oppose the Holy Spirit, if you are continue to uh, work against the kingdom of God, this is actually the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Verse 31, he told them, Therefore I say to you, every sin, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. But the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit or against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either at this age or in the age to come. Here actually some people asking, we know the Holy Trinity are one. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son, the Father and the Holy Spirit are one. So, how come if a person says a word against the Spirit will not be forgiven, but if they say a word against the Son of Man, he will be forgiven? St. Augustine and many church fathers in their commentary on this verse, they said, if somebody did not, at the beginning, did not believe that Jesus is God. This is actually expected that people actually will doubt the divinity of Christ. So they may say a word against him. They may say he lost his mind. They may say uh, uh, he's crazy. Like actually his relatives said about him, he lost his mind, he's out of his mind. But it is the Holy Spirit who guides us to believe in the divinity of Christ. As St. John said, nobody can say that Jesus is God except by the Holy Spirit. It is also the Holy Spirit who leads us to repent as the Lord Jesus Christ. When the Holy Spirit will come, he will convict the world of righteousness, of sin, and of judgment. So it is the Holy Spirit who works with me to believe in Christ and who works with me to repent. So when I oppose the work of the Holy Spirit, this means I will not believe in the divinity of Christ. And if actually I'm against the Holy Spirit, I will not repent. And if I continue to do this the rest of my life, so this is the sin without forgiveness. That's why any sin, God in his mercy, he died for all sins, for all the people in all ages. Again, he died and he forgave on the cross all sins for all people in all ages. But you need to accept this forgiveness. You need to accept Christ and make him your Lord and your Savior. You need to accept the work of the Holy Spirit in you to lead you to repentance. But if you refuse to accept and you continue not to accept the work of the Holy Spirit in you, then how this person will be saved? This is actually 
the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Then the Lord actually, he told them, I cannot understand one thing you do. The Lord is all knowledgeable, he was surprised, and he cannot understand one thing the religious leaders of Israel were doing. He told them, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree, make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? The Lord told them, I cannot understand this. How you, being evil, working against the kingdom of God and blaspheming against the Holy Spirit and working with the kingdom of Satan because you are not gathering with me and you are against me. How, being evil, you can speak good? Even you challenge the rule that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This rule does not apply on you because your heart is evil, but you can speak good things. And this is actually the sin of hypocrisy. That's why he told them, won't you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrisy, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He told them, you don't have any integrity. You don't have any integrity. Because your heart is something, but you speak something else. Make either the tree good and its fruit good, or either the tree bad and its fruit bad. Why? Because hypocrisy can deceive others. If you continue to speak good, but you are evil, you can deceive many people. And actually you can lead many people to deception. Uh, so he told them, a good man, out of the good treasure of his good heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. Unfortunately, I can see the sin of our time in the sin of hypocrisy. We can see how many people speak about love, speak about acceptance, speak about tolerance, and use these sweet words to deceive others, to make them go against God, to make them deny the existence of God, to make them canonize sins and make it legal, like same-sex marriage, and they are using sweet words like we need to accept everybody, we need to love everybody, we cannot condemn others, we cannot judge, judge others. So these words are good words, but they twist it in order to make people be deceived and they follow uh, ungodly way. That's why the Lord told them, I want you to be, even if you don't want to believe in me, but at least, if you don't want to believe in me, at least have integrity. 
make the tree bad and its fruit bad. But don't have evil heart and speak good. Don't do this. This is very destructive. Especially when a leader does this, he can actually deceive many people. That's why he told them, brood of vipers. Brood of vipers. The same words actually, St. John the Baptist used it to describe uh, the Jews in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7. Uh, because uh, as the old serpent deceived our mother Eve by saying good words to her, good words to her, and as the serpent deceived, so actually those who deceive others by hypocrisy, they are the brood of vipers, brood of, of serpents. So he told them, good heart is the good treasure. And the treasure that's in heart is the love of God and love for all mankind. But heart is bad treasury, and the treasure in, in that heart is a carnal mind, which is enmity against God. So either to make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. The same words the Lord said also to the church of Laodicea. I wish that you are either cold or hot, but because you are lukewarm, neither cold or hot, I would vomit you from my mouth. Then actually the Lord warned them in verse 36 and told them, listen, I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and you by your words you will be condemned. So he told them, if every idle word you will give an account for it, what about deceptive word? What about hypocrisy? What about opposing and blaspheming against the Holy Spirit? What about calling the Spirit of God in me? It is the ruler of demons. If just an idle word will make us give an account before God, what about other words? So here actually he was giving them uh, a wording in order to examine themselves and to repent and go back to God. Then actually, as their tradition, they wanted to uh, distract the Lord Jesus Christ from what he was saying to another subject. So they told him, you know, if you give us a sign, we we'll believe in you. Why don't you give us a sign instead of just accusing us or saying we are working with Satan, and we are blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. So, some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. We want to see a sign from you. And some people actually in the Old Testament asked a sign from God. Like Gideon, for example, he asked a sign from God, and God gave him a sign. So, 
why don't you give us a sign and this will conclude everything and we will believe in you but let me tell you this uh, signs were granted to those who desired them to confirm their faith signs were granted to those who desired the signs in order to confirm their faith like Gideon but signs are denied to those who demanded to excuse their unbelief so there is a difference between a person who believed in Christ or he believed in God but he needs a sign just to confirm his faith or a person who is challenging God and want to excuse, to find an excuse for his unbelief, so he is asking for a sign. There is a big difference between this and that. That's why the Lord told them, no, I will not give a sign to an evil, adulterous generation. He told them in verse 39, <coughs> he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign will be given to it except one sign the sign of the prophet John so he told them I will not do another miracle I did miracle before and you said it is done by Baal Zabu and I will never do miracles just to gratify human curiosity I'm, go I'm not going to do a miracle just to uh, secure uh, popular applause for you. No, I'm not going to do miracle for this. But if you are asking for a sign, I will give you a sign. Because this is only the, the proper sign for the evil and adulterous generation. Even who understand because they are working with Satan. But why he called them adulterous generation? Because we are the bride of Christ. So if anybody follow Satan and not Christ, he is like a faithless wife, unfaithful wife. That's what we call spiritual adultery. If Christ is our bridegroom, then if we go another, after another God, then we are not faithful to our bridegroom. So that is spiritual adultery. And he called them evil and adulterous generation. Evil and adulterous generation don't need miracle, but you need a savior. Again, an evil and adulterous generation do not, does not need a miracle, does not need a sign, but they need a savior. Like how Jonah saved the people of Nineveh. Then the Lord actually came to save us. Jonah was a type of Christ. He remained in the belly of the whale three days and three nights. And after this, he saved the Nineveh from destruction because he believed in him as he fasted and repented. In the same way, the Son of Man will be in the heart of earth three nights and three days. And by his death, burial, and resurrection, if you believe in him like the Nevites believed in Jonah, you will be saved. That is the sign you need. You need a savior. My resurrection 
and my death and burial is what you need. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Many people ask about the three days and three nights. And here I will give you two uh, interpretations. The very common interpretation, and I'm sure maybe most of you heard it before, uh, according to the Jewish way, they regard any part of the day a whole day. Any part of the day a whole day. And references to this in 1st Samuel chapter 30, verse 12 and 13, uh, Esther chapter 4, verse 16, chapter 5, verse 1, Matthew 27, uh, from 63 and 64. So, because the Lord spent the spirit on Friday, and he spent Saturday in the tomb, and rose early Sunday, so it was part of Friday, whole Saturday, part of Sunday, and if we can count part of the day, a whole day, then these are three days and three nights. This is a common interpretation. But I searched these three days and three nights more, and I will give you just another uh, interpretation uh, and it's up to you if you like to accept it or not to accept it but just uh, I, I read it actually in, uh, in um, some of the old commentary on the scripture they said the Lord did not say I will be in the tomb he said three days and three nights in the heart of the earth in the heart of the earth. And if the earth represents the kingdom of Satan, because he is the prince of the world, so in the heart of earth symbolically means he will be under the rulers of the earth. As the Lord said when they arrested him, he told them, this is your hour and uh, the ruler of darkness. This is your hour and the hour of the ruler of darkness. So, when actually the Lord was under the ruler of the earth, he became under them from the time in which Judas made the conspiracy with the rulers of uh, the synagogue to betray uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and deliver him to them. And we know that this happened actually on uh, Wednesday night. So if we count after Wednesday night, I mean the night of Thursday because according to the Jewish tradition, the day starts with its eve. So here we have the eve of Thursday and whole Thursday, the eve of Friday and whole Friday, the eve of Saturday and whole Saturday, and then the Lord rose up very early on Sunday morning. 
So if we understand that the heart of the earth does not refer to the two, but refer to the rulers of the earth, as we read in Psalm 2, why the earth and the rulers of, of earth enrage against Christ. So if we understand that the heart of earth represents uh, the rulers of the earth, then if we count from the Thursday Eve, then we have Thursday Eve and Thursday day, uh, Friday Eve and Friday day, Saturday Eve and Saturday day, which will be three days and three months. So I told you the two interpretations, but as I told you, the most common one and the most accepted one in our church is the first one, which is part of the day, is counted a whole day, but just I wanted to give you the two uh, interpretations. Then, the Lord told them, learn from the people of Nineveh, verse 41, the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn. The people of Nineveh were in similar situation like you. They were also evil and adulterous. But when God sent to them Jonah, they repented. But when God actually sent his son to you, me, the Messiah, you did not repent. And you are against me. That's why the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. The Lord of Jonah is here, because Jesus is the Lord of Jonah. So, if you don't repent, the people of Nineveh will condemn you in the last day. And he gives them another example. Verse 42, the queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and indeed a greater than Solomon is here this story you can read it in 1st King chapter 10 verse 1 that the queen of the south uh, this is in South Arabia she came from a very very far country to him to hear the wisdom of, of King Solomon. And now actually the Lord of Solomon is here. So she heard him and went to her country amazed with what she saw and heard. So she will condemn this generation because they heard the teaching and the wisdom of the only wise one, of the Lord of Solomon, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Instead of believing in him, they rejected him, they insulted him, and slandered him. Then actually, they would argue with him and tell him, but we repented. When John the Baptist actually called us to repentance, we went and we were baptized by the baptism of John the Baptist. Because we read in Matthew chapter 3, that some of the Pharisees actually went to John the Baptist to be baptized by his baptism. And John the Baptist, he told them, brood of violence, why are you coming here? So the Lord told them, even if you repent, even if you repent, 
But if this repentance is transient, is not a continuous repentance, then actually your end will be worse than uh, its beginning. So he told them in verse 43, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, so this man here represents the scribe and Pharisees. And this evil spirit or unclean spirit goes out of them when they were baptized by the baptism of Jonah and when they repented. So he told them, usually the unclean spirit goes out and tries to find rest. So he goes out through dry places, seeking rest, but finds none. He will try to find rest in other souls, but he will not find other souls because Christ man is bringing people to the kingdom of God. So Satan actually will not find any rest in the heart of a Christian person. Satan has no rest in the heart of a true believer. He will find no rest in the heart of a true believer. It's like dry places for Satan. So Satan will say, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Yes, they repented, but they did not fill their heart with the Holy Spirit. They did not accept Christ in their heart. So, when the unclean spirit returned, he will find their heart empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. Why? Seven is a perfect number. So he will come and will try to make sure that he will hold this person in complete captivity so he cannot repent anymore. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it also be with this wicked generation? So they told him, uh, he told them, don't say we repented by the repentance of Jonah. Yes, I know some of you accepted the repentance of Jonah and the baptism of Jonah. But if this repentance is transient one, the unclean spirit will come again with seven other evil spirit worse, and they will dwell in you. Many of us will repent, but we don't continue in our repentance. That's why repentance is not just a moment. Repentance is a life. We need to renew the vow of repentance every day, if not every moment. We need actually to live the life of repentance. Otherwise, if our heart is empty, Satan will fill our heart with love of money, love of pleasure, self-worship, addiction, alcoholism, drug, ungodly entertainment. These are the same demons, and he will make us captive by all these bad habits. 
And the person will say, I cannot actually quit all these bad habits. So, when we repent, we need actually to abide in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to continue in our repentance. After the Lord explained to them that they need to repent and don't ask for another sign, but the true sign is the sign of my incarnation, my crucifixion, my burial, and my resurrection. And if you repent, if you believe in me as the people of Nineveh did and believed in Jonah, that's what you need. That this is the sign you need. So they wanted actually again to distract him again. So verse 46, while he was still talking to the multitude, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. The word brother here referred to his cousins. As you know, St. Mary had a sister whose name also was Mary, as we read in the Gospel of St. John. And Mary, the, the sister of St. Mary, was married and had four sons. So these four sons, who are the cousins of the Lord Jesus Christ, is also called his brothers. So St. Mary and his cousins came and wanted to speak to him. Then one said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Many people, when they read this passage, they say, why the Lord treated his mother and his cousins this way? Was he dishonoring his mother and his uh, cousins? Definitely not. But the Lord actually is telling them, I am focused on my mission. I am focused on my ministry. That's why neither natural or any other duty will take me away from my ministry. And we need to differentiate this from people under the deception of religion they may become disrespectful to their parents or unkind to their relatives. But this is actually not what the Lord Jesus Christ was doing. Definitely the Lord paid great honor and respect to his mother and his family and to his cousins. And on the cross, while he was in severe pain, he paid respect to his mother and he asked St. John to take care of her. But the Lord here wants to expand the definition of the family. And he wants actually to tell them why the divine providence choose St. Mary to be my mother. As we say in the Theotokia of Wednesday, the Father looked from heaven 
and did not find any person like you. He sent his son to be incarnated of you. So he told them, God the Father chose Saint Mary to be my mother because she was doing the will of God. Saint Mary actually was supporting the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even in the first miracle, transforming the water into wine, Saint Mary made intercession to support the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Saint Mary accepted, actually, accepted that the people may perceive her as adulteress, and accepted to conceive while she is a virgin for the salvation of the world. So she accepted the will of God better than the Kariah, better than Abraham. And that's why she was worthy to be called the mother of God. That's why the Lord told them, these my disciples, because they accepted the will of God and believed in me, now they became members in the family of God. And everybody who believes in me, who follow my way, who obeys my commandment, who does the will of the Father, is my mother, my sister, and my brother. So here the Lord Jesus Christ was not respect, disrespectful to his mother or dishonored her, but actually he wanted to say, God the Father chose her because she submitted to his will. And in this way, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Glory be to God forever and ever.